0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you this week from Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, Liberty University is receiving complaints from veterans who use the school's online program as part of their GI Bill benefits. We also have the latest in the slow-moving schism in the United Methodist Church. Plus, a look at prosperity gospel preacher Kenneth Copeland. He's in our ministry spotlight.
1: We begin today with something you don't hear Christian leaders do too much these days, and that's apologize.
0: Yeah, that apology came from Andy Wood. Wood was named Rick Warren's successor at Saddleback Church after Warren retires. Uh, He has apologized for inviting Mark Driscoll to speak at the 2021 Echo Leadership Conference. In the past, I interviewed Mark Driscoll to help pastors learn from his mistakes, Wood tweeted on Friday, August the 12th. Since then, additional controversy and pain has come out. My choice hurt and confused many people. I regret the pain, confusion, and distraction this caused. I humbly apologize for my mistake and error.
1: Now, for those late to the party, can you remind us who Mark Driscoll is?
0: Yeah, Mark Driscoll was the controversial pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle and a national leader in the evangelical movement for many years. Following allegations of bullying, toxic leadership, and the use of church funds to get one of his books on the New York Times bestseller list, he ultimately resigned from that church, and within months, Mars Hill Church completely shut down.
1: Now, on June 2nd, Rick Warren, founding pastor of Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, announced he would be retiring and passing the baton to Andy Wood in September. At the time, Wood was the lead pastor of Echo Church in San Jose, California.
0: Yeah, and following that announcement, former staffers at Echo Church publicly alleged Wood was guilty of abusive leadership. On June 12th, Saddleback announced that Vanderblomen Search Firm, which did the initial background check on Wood, had conducted a follow-up review on the pastor and cleared him. Uh, in an email sent on July 11th, Saddleback said Vanderbloemen and another firm called Middlebrook and Goodspeed had both cleared wood of the allegations against him.
1: Our next story is one of the most bizarre we've covered in a while. It's a story of a Kansas City pastor who berated his congregation because they failed to give him a luxury watch.
0: Yeah, the pastor is Pastor Carlton Funderburg, the senior pastor of the Church of the Well in Kansas City. He rose to sudden fame for calling his congregation poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because they had not given him an expensive Movado watch, which he had said he told his congregation that he wanted.
1: The sermon was titled, Honoring God's Shepherds, and we have a link to it on the Ministry Watch site. It's a video that has since gone viral.
0: That's right, and it's not known who shot the video, but obviously someone who was at the August 7th service. The video has since been posted on a variety of news sites, not just ours, but on Fox News and many others, and briefly became national news.
1: But that's not the end of the story.
0: No, it's not. Funderburg also apologized uh, to his church, and he issued a public apology uh, that uh, he posted on YouTube. Uh, the apology video displayed a different side of Funderburg. The original video showed him a- in a tailored suit, but his apology video was somewhat less flamboyant. In it, he confessed that his actions and words were inexcusable. These are his words. I offer no justification or defense I deeply regret this moment and solicit your prayers and your forgiveness as we grow forward.
1: Next up, the latest in the slow-motion schism taking place in the United Methodist Church.
0: Yeah, 31 United Methodist Churches in western North Carolina are demanding that they be allowed to leave the United Methodist Church, and they've hired a Florida legal firm to push their claim forward. The National Center for Life and Liberty, led by David Gibbs, sent a letter to Bishop Ken Carter who oversees both the denomination's Western North Carolina and Florida annual conferences to request that they preserve documents and other communications should a lawsuit be filed.
1: Now, the same firm also sued the Florida annual conference on behalf of 100 churches wishing to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church last month.
0: Yeah, legal action or the threat of legal action represents a new strategy on behalf of churches that want to join the new, more conservative, Global Methodist Church, a new denomination launched largely over differing beliefs regarding the ordination and marriage of members who identify as LGBTQ and, more broadly, on the authority of Scripture generally. A lawyer for the Western North Carolina Annual Conference, which has more than a 1,000 congregations, responded to uh, that letter saying that it would not comply since the request does not follow the disaffiliation plan that was approved by a special session of the United Methodist Church's General Conference back in 2019.
1: That plan allowed churches to leave the denomination through the end of 2023, and they can take their properties with them after paying two years of apportionments and pension
0: liabilities. Yeah, but for some congregations, that's not soon enough, and the terms were not good enough, and that's why a number of congregations have taken this action of trying to leave early and or filing lawsuits or threatening lawsuits. So far, the Western North Carolina Annual Conference has approved the disaffiliation of about 18 churches uh, following the approved plan, and in Florida, 14 Uh, churches have been approved for disaffiliation. Now, that's 14 of the conference's 700 churches. Uh, This is a relatively small number compared to the overall number of United Methodist congregations, but the deadline is still almost a year and a half away, and that number is expected to grow significantly.
1: Churches in North Carolina are mostly smaller rural churches. Some of the churches that have asked to leave represent some of the largest in the denomination.
0: Yeah, in fact, the largest United Methodist Church in the Atlanta metropolitan area uh, also reached a multi-million dollar settlement this summer with the annual conference of North Georgia. Uh, Mount Bethel United Methodist Church is in Marietta, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, and they announced uh, it their plans to disaffiliate last year pointing to conflict with its bishop over the reassignment of its pastor and the, and I'm quoting now, the the direction of the United Methodist denomination.
1: Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, Liberty University is getting complaints from veterans that they are not getting their money's worth. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back with that story and much more after the short break.
2: Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savedthestorks.com. That's savedthestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith along with my co-host Warren Smith and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break, the story of Liberty University's use of taxpayer funds to educate veterans.
0: Yeah, the GI Bill pays for the college education of hundreds of thousands of veterans, millions, in fact, over the years. The amount of money is so great and so reliable that many colleges, including a lot of Christian colleges, have customized their online programs to take advantage of this revenue stream from the government. Few
1: colleges have been more successful than Liberty University, the Christian College in Lynchburg, Virginia.
0: That's right. Fueled by the online program, the university's net assets have grown from about 150 million in 2007 to more than 2.5 billion by 2018. Liberty is the second largest provider of online education after the University of Phoenix, and it's relied on taxpayer funding for tuition revenue for years. Its students received more than $772 million in total aid from the Department of Education by 2017, plus more than $40 million from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Military veterans are such a big market for Liberty University Online that it now has an entire division devoted just to serving them.
1: But a public records request made by an independent blogger and first reported by the news organization ProPublica also shows problems with the program. More than a dozen complaints indicate concerns about the quality of instruction in the online program, as well as failure to honor promises made to students regarding program offerings.
0: Spokesman for Liberty said in a statement that the university is not presently aware of any negative findings by the VA for any of the, those complaints. Uh, the statement went on to say in several circumstances, including the one referenced in uh, the um FOI the FOIA response the VA independently determined the student's complaint to be unfounded and did not request Liberty's review, and I should add that a dozen complaints, when you consider the tens of thousands of people that go through Liberty's program, is a very small number. But keep in mind that these are formal complaints that actually made their way into the Veterans Affairs System. I should also add that in our reporting on Liberty University, we found that while it's true that a huge amount of money is pouring into Liberty through its online program, they've also made huge investments in technology to make it one of the most advanced online programs in the country. But I should also add that it's grown to be enormous, and with that size comes bureaucracy. Uh, And there's no doubt that the school has taken hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer dollars over the years. So the school should expect and taxpayers should demand a certain amount of scrutiny from the media and the public.
1: Our next story is an update on one we've been following for a while. Uh, Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson has filed to dismiss a lawsuit against him from Seattle Pacific University.
0: Yeah, Seattle Pacific is a private school uh, associated with the Free Methodist Church, and the attorney general was sued by the school. He's arguing that he has not violated the university's constitutional rights because he requested information about its hiring practices.
1: In late July, Ferguson confirmed his office was investigating the university for potential illegal discrimination against people who identify as LGBTQ due to the school's employment policies.
0: Yeah, his announcement came after uh, SPU sued Ferguson, claiming that his probe aims to influence the university in its application and understanding of church teaching. SPU is represented, by the way, by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, which is an organization that often uh, tries religious liberty cases, that has taken a few all the way to the Supreme Court. A court hearing for this motion is scheduled next month, September 9th.
1: And Warren, we need to take another quick break. When we return our lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: A conservative group opposed to same-sex marriage announced the formation this week of a new Anglican diocese in Australia, triggering an apparent split in the church in that country. Glenn Davies is the former Archbishop of Sydney in the Anglican Church of Australia, and he was appointed as Bishop of the New Diocese. He said that the formation of this new group was necessary, but nonetheless sad. In fact, he told the Guardian, if the leadership would repent and turn back to the teachings of the Bible, we wouldn't need the Diocese of the Southern Cross. I'd shut it down and come back." This split is the latest in a series of fissures over the issue of biblical sexuality and LGBTQ inclusion. Uh, It's a split that has turned the Anglican uh, worldwide community into various factions, and they have bifurcated into different denominations, not only in New Zealand and Australia now, but also in Canada, Brazil, and right here in the United States.
1: Who's in the ministry spotlight this week?
0: Well, we spotlight Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Now, a lot of folks know Kenneth Copeland because he's got a huge presence on television. Uh, The ministry began in 1967 as the speaking platform for for Kenneth Copeland himself, and it has offices not just in the United States, but in Canada, Africa, Asia, Australia, Ukraine, and Latin America. The organization doesn't release its Form 990s to the public, but according to its 2021 Covenant Partner Report, it had revenue of about $135 million. That's a huge amount of money, very little transparency, and I should also add that Ministry Watch has long been a critic of Kenneth Copeland. The organization currently has a transparency grade of F from Ministry Watch, that's our lowest grade, and a donor confidence score of 10 out of 100. That, again, is one of the lowest scores that any of the ministries in our Ministry 1000 database get, and that score translates to a recommendation from Ministry Watch that donors should withhold giving.
1: Who did we highlight in Ministries Making a Difference this week?
0: Well, after talking about Kenneth Copeland, yeah, it's nice to end with a bit of a palate cleanser, you might say. And that's what we get with Healing Hands International. They're drilling wells in Ghana as part of their clean water ministry. Healing Hands has three stars uh, out of five and an A transparency grade in the Ministry Watch database. And they have a donor confidence score at the other end of the scale from Copeland. They have a score of around 95 out of 100, which means that donors can give with confidence.
1: Do you have any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just a reminder that if you make a donation to Ministry Watch during the month of August, you'll receive a free one-year subscription to World Magazine. We made this offer last year, and it got a great response. In fact, we've had more than 100 people respond this month to that offer. Uh, but I know a lot of people listening to the podcast today weren't with us a year ago because we've nearly doubled our listenership in the past year. So if you're new to Ministry Watch, especially to the podcast, this is a fantastic opportunity to pick up a to world and to support our work at the same time. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jessica Leah, Alejandra Molina, Alec McInnes... Bobby Ross Jr., Jessica Etralde, Shannon Cuthrill, Ann Stike, Catherine Post, Yanat Shimron, Christina Darnell, Rod Pitzer, and Steve Raby. Special thanks to Church Leaders, The Christian Chronicle, and ProPublica for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.